I need to know everything Who and the what and the where I need everything Trust me, I hear what you're saying But act like it's new what you're telling me I'm curious, George I hop in the Porsche with five and a horse I'm ready for war I'm coming for throws To turn to a ghost I need to know everything Hello and welcome to JK Plus One I am not your host, PTF He is, uh, I think he's still in the Brooklyn bunker Um... He's been yelling at me a lot lately, but uh, anyways, I am uh, Jonathan Kinchin, and this is JK Plus One, and I'm so glad you're with us again. I'm fired up about this episode. It's so good, Um, not because of me, but because of the guest, and it's uh, it's so interesting, and and as a horse player, and and even a fan, or whatever you happen to be, it's just an interesting aspect that I think a lot of us don't get a look in, and that's the starting gate, and, and what takes place there, and what goes on there, and what they're doing there. And, um, you know, I, I say in the, in the beginning of the show, it's, I, I liken it to the center in, in football. Like, you know, the quarterback obviously gets all the credit. The jockeys, the horses get all the credit. But it all starts with a snap. Uh, whether it's a shotgun snap or it's under center, it starts at the snap. And I feel like racing is the same way uh, with, with our assistant starters and the starting crew and, and the gate crew. And, and uh, we've, all, we've all picked or handicapped or bet the best horse and that horse doesn't get away clean. And, uh, that opinion is worth about as much as you would imagine it is. And so it was just so fun to have, uh, my friend, Jimmy Moore, who's a member of the Naira starting crew. He's an, he's an assistant starter for them. He's been there for, I think maybe nine, 10 years. And, um, just so excited to have him and just to ask him some really fun questions and and his answers were better than the questions. Uh, He he talks about uh, some of the specific needs of some of the riders, what they like, what they don't like. He talked about, uh, he explains uh, some of the the antics uh, that you see behind the gate, uh, the the arm bar thing, pushing horses in, the kicking of the dirt, uh, talks about what happens when a horse breaks through, talks about how they get set inside the gate um, the gate car. I mean, it's, it, dude, I'm really, I, I hope you guys enjoy this. I'm, I'm pretty proud of it. I think it's pretty, uh, it's pretty interesting. And I think it answers a lot of questions. I, I, I feel, um, like I know a lot more about the gate than I did, uh, an hour and 45 minutes ago. So, um, what else is going on before we, before we hop in, uh, subscribe. I haven't told you to do that in a while. Um, and the purple podcast app, go to in the money, uh, subscribe. You can also go to JK plus one. It has its own feed. You can subscribe there and, and why not double dip? And, um, a couple past episodes. If you haven't listened to Andy Serling was great. Uh, people really enjoyed that one. We see the, uh, the angry Andy <laughs> handicapping on TV. And this is another side of him. I think you'll enjoy that. Uh, my episode with Marshall Graham was a lot of fun. We talked about, uh, the, the R one, two finish, and the Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge. It's, it's also on YouTube. You can watch the video. We, we, we like walk through the whole thing, um, which is pretty cool too. So, uh, But I'll stop wasting time. Um, and I hope you enjoy this episode with my friend Jimmy Moore. Jimmy, what's going on? Nice little day off for you, huh? Yes, Jonathan. It's great. I, I really appreciate you having me on, and uh, I'm really looking forward to doing this. Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, it's one of those deals where I've, I've always wanted to um, – you know, I think there's so many things at the racetrack that are interesting. And I just want to just like have an opportunity just to ask you a, a hundred thousand questions that, that horse players and fans have, because, you know, uh, I, I liken you guys in your job as a, as an assistant starter to kind of like the center on a football team. Like, you know, everyone knows the quarterback, everyone knows the quarterback touches the ball every play, but 
it starts with the center. The center touches the ball every play as well. And so I, I think that's kind of what you guys are like. I mean, you're in there uh, in a very important part of the race, obviously the start, and you're in there with these thousand pound animals. I feel like your bones, uh, you've got to have a ton of broken, broken bones and like, and, uh, and it's just, I think it's just a fascinating deal. And so I'm glad to have you on here. So I can just ask you some questions and hear some stories. I bet you got a bunch of them. Yeah, no, definitely. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a fascinating job, um, from many standpoints and, and you're right. We are like the center and, um, you know, 98% of the time, uh, the snaps go well, but the 2%, uh, that don't go well, those are the, those are the two snaps that people really end up remembering or saying, Oh, you know, my horse got off bad and that's what caused the race or, you know, um, and stuff. But, you know, we try to do our best, uh, every single race. And, uh, you know, like first and foremost is we need to take care of the jockey, the horse, and then us, we come last. So it's, uh, there's a lot of different factors that go into play with, um, the start of the race. Now, you know, the, the question everyone wants to know the answer to is, are you the guy in the gate who's always yelling? No, I, I swear. I hear it every time. Like, no, 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 no. Honestly, I am not the guy that is yelling. No, no, no. Um, there is a guy or maybe two guys that do yell quite a bit. Um, everybody in the gate pretty much has their own style of handling horses, uh, especially when you get into trouble. And, um, you know, pretty much um, I've developed my own style and I pretty much watch other people. And I've had the privilege of working uh, with the Maryland um, starting gate crew which they do a great job. Bruce Wagner does a phenomenal job. I've been able to go down to Keeneland and work two Breeders' Cups um, and go to Churchill. So, you know, it, it, it's it's one of those things that you uh, watch the older guys um, and try to learn different techniques and see how they stay out of trouble or try to see how they do get along with the horse the best they possibly can before a race and you mentioned the word trouble so um what how would you describe some some different scenarios of trouble getting yourself into trouble or getting into trouble um what what do some of those scenarios look like yeah i I would say the big thing is i I think a lot of people um you know the negative image of horse racing and a lot of people say well they don't like to do this they don't horses don't want to run and and i really strongly believe that is a uh, false statement these horses love what know what they do are doing and love what they are doing but they do not like to be trapped in to a you know a very small stall like that where we're standing up around their head you have a jockey on their back so you know they might be nervous in there they might be a little claustrophobic um but more importantly, they're they're ready to run. They're excited to run, and they know what they're about to do. So some of the some of the issues that we might deal with, you know, you might have a horse that's kind of dancing around in there, so he's uh, constantly moving his feet, and you try to get them to stand still so that they can break out of the gate and not stumble. So you so our job is to make sure their front legs are standing you know, square 
you know, you don't want their front legs to be spread out or crossed or one foot in front and one foot in the back. And that goes for the back legs as well. How do so, you do that? How do you, how do you, what's a way to kind of get them? Is it just, you just kind of trying to shift them around to try to get them to rebalance themselves? Yeah. When we come in, when we bring them in and, and we're locked up in there and we're standing in the front, we pretty much want to, you, you kind of look down and, and uh, the first thing I always do is look down and make sure their fur, uh, their front two legs or hoofs are standing uh, side by side and balanced, almost like a basketball player. And obviously it's tough to check the back legs, but you can kind of, peek around the corner and then I, I would always ask the jockey and say hey how's he feel up there and if they're like yeah that's good then I'll get up and then I'm kind of can look a little bit better at the back legs to make sure they are balanced as well if they you know they are going to move in there and we're able to kind of push on them a little bit um, you know we'll push on their shoulders a little bit uh, if there is a guy behind the horse uh, we might be able to say can you push their back end and move them up and move them up a step, move them back a step. And sometimes horses just want to be left alone. They want to stand possibly with their right back leg forward and their left back, uh, their left back leg back. And that's just what's comfortable to, for them as well, you know. So you, you kind of pick up little tendencies, um, you know, from each horse or each race to say, all right, you know, his front legs are squared off. His back legs might be a little off, but that's the way he or she wants to stand. And you kind of just leave them alone. And nine times out of 10, they break perfectly fine like that. They reset themselves quite a bit. And I don't think a lot of people uh, in the public realize that, you know, uh, horses do reset themselves when they do break, especially with their back legs. Is there a huge difference between your job? And I do want to, to go back to what your, your, your full duties are. Uh, from kind of start to finish. But before we get to that, is there a big difference for you uh, starting on the grass or starting on the dirt? Do you do your job differently or is it, is it virtually the same thing? It's virtually the same thing. You, you might get a little more nervous on the dirt because if you have a horse that uh, is, you know, pretty quick out of the gate that breaks very sharp, you know, the one thing uh, we always might get a little nervous about is the dirt breaking out underneath them. And that's just from them breaking sharp. It, it would be like me and you racing on the beach and you pushing off and the sand, you know, uh, breaks out underneath your legs and you stumble. And uh, that's something that's just bad luck. And there's nothing really we can do about that. So let's let's do a kind of a day in the life. And, and I think a, a good place to do that is is the best place to do that. Right. Let's go Saratoga. So let's just call it a Saturday, uh, at Saratoga. What, what, what is, what is your day like? Cause I've seen you out there in the mornings, uh, with your sidekick, uh, Cassius, I believe I've, I've seen you out there in the morning. So what, what is your Saturday or, or Sunday? Like if Sunday is, is, has a, has a different vibe to it. Well, I, you know, Saturday is a busy day for us. So, uh, uh, normal schooling, uh, hours, the starting gate on the main track at Saratoga starts at 7.00 AM. Uh, I'll wake up at 6.00 AM, uh, get Cassius up. He's usually up right away with me, feed him, take him out. And, you know, we head over to the track and we're pretty much, uh, on the track ready to go for the first horse by seven o'clock. Um, you know, and that will go all the way till nine 30. Um, we will see horses that have never seen a starting gate. We will see horses that want to break, um, just like it's a race to sharpen them up to, um, to get them ready for a race. 
And then we'll have, we'll see horses that um, might be nervous. So we will stand them in the gate, um, climb around them, climb up on the ledge, pet on them, you know, make sure they're comfortable, try to figure out why they might be acting up in the gate during race time. Um, just spend time with them and try to make their um, experience as pleasant as possible so that when the afternoon does come around and when they are getting ready to run, they know, you know, this big gate or this guy standing next to me, uh, nothing is, you know, going to happen. You know, I'm in good hands. They're very, very intelligent animals. And uh, if something happens bad in there, they don't forget that. And it's, it's, it's a process to overcome, you know, um, you know, a hiccup, I, I, I should say, you know, uh, now if you get a, if you get a bad actor, um, you get a horse who's super nervous and you've learned something, you know, this is what he doesn't like. This is what he does like. This is how he should be handled. Will you get him for his next start or, or if someone else gets him, how do you communicate that information? Do you guys kind of report back to someone? Hey, this, you know, this, this horse for Todd, da, 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 he needs this. And, and that way, if someone else gets him, how do, how do you handle that? Well, during, during the mornings, we record every horse that comes to the starting gate and we, we will record everything that they do. So if you're the trainer, Jonathan, and you have, you know, tis the law, tis the law came up to the gate today to stand and back out for Jonathan Kitchen. We write all that down. That essentially after our schooling hours around 930 will be um, submitted and recorded into a computer, which um, all other racetracks in America that use this um, um, computer uh, program called Encompass will have access to. So, for example, if Tis the Law is running in New York, but he's going to run in Florida, and if he's a bad actor, the starter and the starting gate crew will have essentially a scouting report on what he does in the gate and what might be his problem. So we, we record everything, uh, whether he breaks slow, if he broke through the gate, if he throws his, if he throws his head from right to left or left to right. Um, if he likes to rear up in the gate and we have to, you know, put a little kink in his tail to kind of get his attention. It's almost like a kink is like, uh, if you grab your kid by the ear, just to get his attention and say, hey, guess what? You're not going to do this because it's not allowed. Um, so before our race day, we will meet together as a crew along with our boss and go over the entire race card from uh, race one to ten. And we will write down all the marks, which is essentially the scouting report on each race. Some races do not have any marks. Other races will have a lot. You know, uh, the two horse needs to, we need to open up the front doors on him. So he walks in the four horse might have to, we might have to load the horse and shove him in. Uh, this one needs a shank behind the gate because he likes to rear up and try to get loose from us. So we, uh, one, you know, the five horse might bite, you know, so essentially going into every race, we will have a very good game plan and understand uh, what the entire field, uh, what could possibly happen or what may not happen too. 
Is is your horse assignments on the day random, or does your boss say, you know, this horse is a is a, is a bad actor, and uh, and and I know Jimmy's gonna be able to handle him, so I'm gonna give him to Jimmy. Uh, for instance, when Improbable came for the Whitney, you know, obviously he's been notoriously been a bad actor. Does does your boss make a decision on who he's gonna put in with Improbable to make sure that 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 goes smoothly? Yes. Um, so pretty much our uh, the boss oversees everything. And then we have a first man, which gives the assignments out, uh, which is pretty much done one to two minutes before each race. We don't know who we're getting um, before each race. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes you'll handle nine out of 10 races or sometimes you'll handle five out of 10 races. It's all done randomly. It's all done by skill wise and also by, um, you know, your seniority as well. So like, so, does like the, like the, you know, <laughs> so does like kind of like the, 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 the slappy of the crew, does he, does he get like six races off? You know, is he the guy that gets left off? If there's a six horse race or do they kind of throw him a bone every now and again? Yeah, it, it's, it's pretty much, you know, uh, it, it all depends on what type of races it, it is. And, and, you know, we, they all try to keep everything pretty even and, uh, and stuff like that. So, but like, going back to improbable, like you said, you know, um, it was done, you know, the, uh, Justin Pringle had the horse and, um, you know, the first man assigned him, he's been doing this job for quite a bit of time. And, and, um, you know, he is, that horse is a very bad actor and he likes to try to get himself in trouble. And, and Justin, you know, had him in the gate and, and, uh, everything went well and, and stuff like that. Right. So, um, so you get the assignments, you, you know, are you, will you, will you talk over everything you get your assignments right before the race? Um, now is that like when they come out on the track, you get that assignment. So you're just all standing by the gate and then they just say like, Jimmy two, Diddy three. Yes. So pretty much they'll be galloping to the backstretch or they're warming up and we'll be hanging out and, and pretty much, yeah, they'll you know pretty much say, Jonathan, you got the one, Jimmy got the two, uh, Homewood, you got the three. And all the way down the line, whether you have back doors or front doors or whoever, if you have to tail a horse or whatever. And yeah, sometimes you might get a horse and you'll say, oh, I handled this horse last time. And I know he's a little funny with his head. You might go to your coworker that might have the horse this time and tell him that, yes, hey, just want to give you a heads up. He was kind of funny with his head. You know, uh, you know, just try to keep petting him, keep him calm and then once the last horse is going in kind of back off his head so he doesn't try to look at you you know we're always trying to look after one another and you know it, it it's a big team that's what it is and we all want to look good and you know do uh you know do a good job for the owners the trainers the horse and you know also the betting public as well so when you guys are on the backside, because I know a lot of you guys are fans, I know you're a fan of the game too. When you're on the backside and, you know, say seven furlongs at Saratoga, when they break, how the heck do you guys know who wins? Because I know you care. I know you, you, you take pride. Would you take pride when your horse wins from your gate? And, and, and how do you know? Well, I, obviously, <laughs> obviously we do uh, watch the races very closely. We are fans of the game. And, um, you know, the reason we do this job is because we love the horses and we love the game. You know, so uh, sometimes we got guys on the crew that uh, have great eyes and they'll call out the winner of the race before 
you know, anyone else can ever see it. Uh, we do have a TV back there or we will go to a TV to kind of see who won. But more importantly, I think the, uh, the best thing or the best feeling for me is when that horse breaks out of the gate and you see him break cleanly and you see him jump out of the gate, one, two, three strides, you know, we did our job and now it's in the horse's hands to either win or the jock's hands to win. And, you know, like, I think a lot of people, um, you know, we can help a horse stay safe, but can we, do we really have, can we really help a horse win a race? I, I, I don't know. I think, I think we have a helping hand, but obviously the horse does all the work and the jockey does the work and the trainer does the work. So, you know, we all like to maybe say, well, I at least help that horse out. Um, and at least he left the gate clean and, that's all I could do now. <laughs> right. So when, so then they pop away from there. Um, and you know, I guess if you're on the, you know, if you're on the, uh, if you're on the front side that, you know, the tractor moves the gate and then where do you guys go? You guys, you guys get off the track immediately. And yeah, well, then, and then what do you do between the race being over and them coming back on the track? What, what do you do in that 20 minute space? Yeah, technically, you know, like you said, we have about 20, 25 minutes um, in between each race. Um, you know, we all pretty much will hang out together. Some of us play cornhole together up in Saratoga. Those games get very, very uh, competitive. Uh, we'll eat, you know, you have lunch and, and especially in Saratoga, it's nice because, you know, we get, you know, there's a lot of visitors back there. We have families and friends and you know, people from all over the track that, you know, we can run into and talk, but it's, you know, it's a little bit of our downtime, but also we will reconvene and, um, you know, talk about the upcoming race or if something went wrong, uh, in the race before we will watch the replay over and over and over again to kind of see, you know, well, why did, you know, what happened to the start or, you know, or, uh, Hey, this horse didn't come out of the gate cleanly, or, you know, um, you know, is, is there something we could have done better and, and, and try to turn the page as fast as we can, because the next race comes up pretty quick and we have to get ready to go. What's the, so I've seen you guys before. What's the move is the move to order Shake Shack before the fifth. So you can eat it between the fifth and the sixth, or do you, is it, you cutting it too close if you wait till after the fifth to order it? <laughs> Yeah, I would say you got you got to get that order in at least by the fourth race. I would definitely say that, <laughs> and and we will we will try to game plan for that as well. Just because, you know, depending on uh, how many races we have the front side or how many on the back side, so uh, we try to, you know, have someone go over there, put our order in, and then pick it up, and then we're we'll be all set for the rest of the day. <laughs> now, uh, after you know, say it's a ten race card. After the tenth, um, they break from the gate. Are you done? Do you, do you have duties or are you out of there? We are pretty much done. We'll wait for the race just to be over and to make sure all the horses, you know, cross the finish line uh, safe and sound. And, uh, it, you know, if there is something that does happen during the race and we are close enough, we will help uh, the horse out or the outrider out uh, just to make sure. But pretty much, yeah, that's uh, – once they cross the finish line, our, we're off the clock and we're free to go home and relax and get ready to start up again tomorrow. Is the nightmare a horse flipping in the gate? Is that like your, is that like the, that's the, when you wake up every day, it's like, I just want a horse to flip in the damn gate. Cause that just seems, 
like it's dangerous for you. It's obviously dangerous for the rider and for the horse. Is, is that kind of the nightmare? I, I can only speak for myself. I mean, I think it, it, it it's different for every person. I, I think my biggest fear is having, you know, a horse stumble. I, I think because there's nothing you can really do about a horse stumbling, especially if you go through uh, all your checkpoints, making sure the horse is standing good. He's calm. The jockey's happy the way he's standing. And as soon as those doors open and if he stumbles, you're like, well, I can't get that back. If a horse rears up and tries to flip in the gate, you can try to get them back down to their feet. You can um, try to make them comfortable. You can try to fix the problem before it gets worse. So, uh, you know, that's that's all I can say, really. You yeah. Know, the camera perfect. usually goes off when that happens. How the hell do you guys get those horses out from under there? It's amazing. They, like I said, they're smart, they're strong. And, um, if a horse flips in the gate and they are laying on their back, essentially having their neck and back on the back doors and we will pop the back doors open and we will make sure that the entire gate is backed out. The entire field is backed out. So there's no other horses in there and pretty much they will lay on the ground and they figure out a way back to their feet. And yes, they might, you know, cut their legs up. Um, they might have a few scratches, but nine times out of 10, uh, they get up and they're back, uh, training in a day, two days. It's, it's, uh, it's remarkable how they can get up like that. Um, so do you, do you prefer being inside or outside or does it make zero difference to you? Uh, inside or outside meaning like, like, Oh, Oh, like, uh, like an inside post or an outside post. Would you rather, if you got the, you know, you know, for a million dollar race, you want to, you want to break your horse from the one or from the 10? I'd rather be in the one. Um, the reason for the one, I, I don't care if, if he or she is a bad acting horse or a good acting horse that the more time you have in there with them, the more you, um, can figure, uh, that horse out. Um, you can, um, keep them calm. You can keep them, uh, uh, attentive. You can constantly talk to the jockey, make sure this is good and make sure that's good. You can constantly, um, keep an eye on what else is going on in the starting gate and figure out if anyone else is in trouble and everything. So if you're on the outside, if you're the second to last horse in or the last horse in, you know, there's not much time. You have to get that horse standing proper, um, looking down the track and, and ready to go. There's really a very little room for error while, when you're on the outside. Do, do you, do you get anxious if you're trying to load your horse? They're all in there and you're trying to, you're trying to get your horse in and the horse isn't going, you're circling them. You're, you know, you're trying to, you know, you got your buddies back there doing the arm bar thing. Do you start feeling like, Oh man, I got Do you start feeling anxious? Like I gotta get this damn horse in here. Well, a little bit and pretty much while you're back there, you're trying to figure out, well, why, why, why does he or she not want to get in here? Like what's, what's going on with this horse? And, you know, you try to keep the horse as calm as possible. And, um, you know, I, I had the privilege of working, uh, for Bob Duncan. Um, he, he, he's the, you know, uh, the gentleman that hired me when I first started, uh, working on the starting gate and he was, you know, he was retired at the time. Uh, he was a consultant pretty much for Naira. He worked um, at the um, Oklahoma training track 
and from November 15th, I mean, from April 15th to November 15th. And he would really work with a lot of, um, a lot of the two year olds and getting them ready to run. And he always, you know, taught me, um, how to really read a horse, but also you're not going to overpower a horse. It doesn't matter if I'm the size of JJ Watt, uh, there is no possible way I'm going to overpower a horse. They're 1200, 1300 pound animals. So why don't you try to get along with them and try to be a, a buddy to them? And usually things work out, you know, for the best for the both of us. So that's one thing he really, really taught me going forward and everything. So that brings up a, a good transition. A good point I wanted to talk about is, is two-year-olds. Obviously uh, we, we all, well, not we all, but we all hear the word gate card um, when it, or I guess that's two words, right? Two word gate card when it comes to these two-year-olds and, and them having to get their gate card. And, and, and it's also so important in two-year-old races for betting is, is who's actually going to break, you know? And, and, uh, a couple of years ago, Todd's horses weren't breaking like they used to. And, and so it's, it's a very important part of the game from a betting standpoint. Um, so I wanted you to talk a little bit about the two-year-old process, but also what, what actually takes place in this gate card issuing situation? Gotcha. So pretty much, um, you know, the, the two-year-olds, um, uh, pretty much as like right now, uh, which are yearlings, they are being broken right now being taught how to ride learning about the racetrack and uh you know they're pretty much all in um you know south carolina and and florida right now and uh, there's a lot of great farms down there that do a great job getting their getting the horses ready to run well uh, if, if uh, a rider comes up to us whether it's at belmont or saratoga and says this is a first timer uh, you guys have never had this horse to the gate we pretty much go through a step process. Uh, we will first begin to walk through, uh, walk the horse through a wide stall, no doors, no pads. It's just a wide stall to kind of see how they will react to, uh, to walking up to the starting gate and walking through. We will proceed to do that, you know, maybe two times. Then we will bring them down to a stall door, which will have pads, which will have back doors, which will have front doors. We will keep all the doors open and we will walk them in. We will pause them for one to two seconds and then lead them out the front. If they do handle that well, um, they will generally come back the next day. We will um, maybe do that process maybe one more time to see where their minds are. And then pretty much we will lock them up. We will bring them in, let them stand in the starting gate. Uh, there will be two other assistant starters that will close the back doors. So they will actually, the horse will actually feel the back doors on their behind. So they know they can't move backwards. And then we will gently close or I will close the front doors and leave the horse and rider in there all by themselves. And pretty much we will tell the rider once these front doors open, let the horse tell you when he wants to come out. Some of them pick it up uh, a little faster than others. Um, others just will walk out the first day, then they might canter out, you know, the second or third day. And generally we try to make sure um, 
the horse will have company. We try to have, you know, two horses in the gate at the side by side because like I say, uh, a, a lot of people don't realize horses are herd animals. One of one horse is going to take the lead and say, come on, let's go. And they kind of work off of one another. So once, once we do that process of just walking them through, taking it easy, we will then lead them in to a closed front door. Now this is going to be a little different for them. They might balk at, well, I can't walk in now because you have the front doors. Um, that's why we constantly want to make sure these two-year-olds have a good experience at the starting gate. We will walk the horse in with a closed door. Then the two other assistant starters will close the back doors. This is a big process now because now we are in the gate with the horse and the rider. And we will climb up on the ledge. And we really have to make sure we do a good job at that because a lot of horses have never had someone climb up in front of their face and stand next to them. And then on top of it, another horse is going to, going to be coming in on their right side with another assistant starter climbing up. So that's where a lot of horses, you really want to make sure they can handle this because, you know, it's almost like claustrophobic. You're locked, locked into this big steel cage with people standing on the left side of you, the right side of you, and there's a rider on your back. And once we do that process, we will, t uh, we will have two other assistant starters go to the front doors and we will gently open the front doors. And then they gradually start to gallop out a little stronger, a little sharper. If we notice a horse is starting to get a little aggressive in there, he's starting to get a little upset, he might be getting a little tense, you know, we tend to back off them a little bit and we'll tell the trainer, hey, instead of galloping this horse out in two days, bring him back to the gate and let's just stand him in there and back them out backwards to kind of take the edge off to to teach them, hey, guess what? Every time you come to the gate, you're not going to be working hard. You're not going to be breaking. It's not a it's not a race. So, and that's and that's a preference. You know, that's our call uh, in everything. And then once they continue to gallop out stronger and sharper, um, the foreman who's in charge of the starting gate will tell the trainer, you can break these horses now. Now, to get the, um, the gate card so that you can enter your horse to run in a race, the New York, uh, the Naira's policy is that they need to break in company. So that means they cannot come to the gate and, and break with just one horse. It needs to be two or three other horses. And with that being said, um, it's just like a race. We will close the doors up. We will turn the switch just like you're watching a race and they need to break sharp. If the foreman doesn't believe they broke sharp enough, we will tell the trainer that he's going to have to do that again and try to get them up to speed so that they can be ready to run like it's an afternoon race. What's the what, what's the longest you feel like it's it's taken to give a horse a gate card? I mean, do you feel like you've just had some some poor damn horse that he's been over there seven times and you just you guys just can't give him his gate card because he won't get it right? Um, I 
I, I can honestly, they pick it up pretty quickly. I, and, and I can say that. I think the biggest thing is you just don't want to get them all keyed up. You want them, like I keep, I keep reiterating, you, you want them to be relaxed and comfortable in there so that they can run their race. And, and you hear, you know, the betting public or owners or trainers say, well, he ran, he ran his race, you know, before the race. And that's the last thing you want. And, um, you know, if some, sometimes horses, uh, will get their gate card after one try. Sometimes it makes, sometimes it will take two or three times. Um, sometimes they, uh, after breaking one time and they m didn't get their card, they, they might be a little too keyed up. So you got to take a step back. And like I said to you before, you might have to bring them to the gate and school them. And like I said to you, that's them standing in the gate, you know, um, and having people climb on, on, you know, climb up around them, try to keep them calm, try to get them over any fear of, you know, what could be possibly scaring them and, and work with them so that they are comfortable next time around to break. Um, when horses try to break through the gate, um, you know, we, we've seen it in big race, obviously Whitmore, um, that, it, you know, uh, at Saratoga was one that we've seen a lot. What, what is, what kind of goes on in that situation? Do you, can you tell it's going to happen? Do you know what's going to happen? Um, do they, you know, just talk to me a little bit about that, that, that feeling of them breaking through the gate. What, when they do that, are you trying to hold them in? Cause I, you know, I usually see you guys almost like jumping out, chasing after them, trying to keep them from running off. What, what is the break through the gate process like? Yeah, they're, I mean, they're pretty much sitting on go. They're, they're, uh, I mean, it, they're like a firecracker in there. They're getting ready to run. They know what they're about to do. There's, uh, there's so many uh, factors that could go into a horse breaking through the gate. Uh, uh, another horse in the gate could kick a back door and, and makes a noise. So they think it's time to go. Um, the jockey might move their hands a certain way or move, you know, on their backs a certain way. And they think it's, you know, that's, it's time to go. We might move them or have them look down the track a little too long and they might think it's time to go. It's like I said, they're, they are bred to run. They know what they're doing and they're pretty much trying to anticipate, you know, the break and, and there's a lot of like little factors that go into some of that. And I don't think it's anything that we do or the jockeys do. It's, pretty much the horse and sometimes like you say uh like i like i said a horse might um kick the back doors and it's just like a, a trigger that goes off and they think it's time to go and they're actually they when that happens it, does it, is it usually their head that hits first when they pop the door open because they're if people don't know the doors are held together by magnets so it it's not it, it's i mean it's not the hardest thing in the world to open right so or is it sometimes like their whole body or is it a shoulder that could hit first what usually pops the door yeah pretty it, it's just the it's the force and like i said i like you brought up a good point the the starting gate or the doors are are pretty much held by a, a magnet and once we turn the power off the magnet shuts off and that's how the doors open and pretty much it's just the amount of force. Uh, the horse's head could hit that, uh, the horse's shoulder. Our goal is to try to keep the horse in the gate. If he breaks through the gate, and I always try to keep the horse in because that's going to keep the horse safe and the rider safe. Now, sometimes 
you know what? They're 1,300 pounds, 1,200 pounds. You just can't keep the horse in the gate. So then you kind of got to jump out of the gate with them, hopefully stick the landing so you don't look like an idiot. And, <laughs> um, you know, just try to keep the horse from running down the track and make sure the jockey's safe. What are you holding on to? Are you holding on to the bridle when they're, when they're in there? We're holding on to their left rein. Their left rein. Left rein, yes. So we're pretty much, we try to stay away from their mouth, you know, and, and we, we're pretty much holding on to the left rein and, um, and, you know, trying to guide them, you know, looking down the track, keep them comfortable. And, uh, but that's pretty much the only thing we will hold on to from the horse. Um, you know, some people will hold, use their left hand and hold on to the left rein and then, and kind of keep their right hand on the back of the horse's neck where their mane is and kind of pet them to keep them calm. And then the break will come. Um, you know, like I said, every assistant starter has a, a different way or a different feel and you just got to kind of develop your, your style, I guess. That's the best way to put it. I've always felt like you guys have to have a lot of broken fingers. I, I just, I'm sure, like, I think, I think you guys have, these are the two injuries I think you guys get all the time. This is just me being uneducated. I think you have broken fingers and like bruised up legs and shins from them bouncing around and catching you in between stuff and like snagging your leg in between like metal posts. <laughs> pretty much. I, uh, now you're going to jinx me. <laughs> <laughs> I've been pretty fortunate. Um, but like I, uh, a lot of people don't realize like, we climb up with our right leg on the ledge. Um, we handle all the horses pretty much with our right uh, arms. So the the injuries that you will see are, you know, um, you know, um, you know, a horse might break into your leg, your back right leg because of their hips. And you might get a bru pretty bad bruise. Uh, some some guys have blown out ACLs because of the amount of force, you know, when a horse breaks. And then if a horse breaks through the gate or rears up or tries to flip in the gate, um, unfortunately, I've had some friends that uh, a good friend of mine, Sterling Cornu, that works down um, in Kentucky. He tore his uh, rotator cuff, labrum and bicep all on one horse. And it was this very significant, significant sur surgery. The, the broken fingers may happen every once in a while, but. I also have a very good friend that's been doing the gate for 25 plus years, Jim Homewood, that he's lucky enough. He's probably going to be mad at me for saying this, but he really hasn't had any injury, significant injuries at all. So, if you're at home, you're knocking on wood for, uh, for Jim. <laughs> Everyone's knocking on wood for Jim. Yes. What, so. what, uh, so that's, that's great. I mean, I, it just, it just, man, it just seems so damn dangerous to be in there with these animals that, that you just don't know where, what direction they're going to go of, of all your equipment. You guys obviously wear the, the, what do you guys call it? Like the vest, the safety vest. Uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's almost like a riding vest, but it's, um, not as, um, thick or sturdy as, as a, like a jockey's vest or an exercise rider's vest. But it's very, it's very, very similar to that. We also wear a helmet. Um, is the helmet the same as the riders wear? Or is it different? It's different. It's, uh, I believe it's called a temporary yeah. helmet, which, um, you know, so I, you know, if, if you asked me and I'm this, like it's just my personal preference and I would wear the vest, uh, at all costs, I would not wear the helmet because while in the gate, I want to be able to move my head, um, and look down the gate or 
or be able to hear uh, what sort of commotions going on, what kind of um, communication I might be missing, or better yet, I need to communicate to the boss to say, hey, I have a problem here. And sometimes I just feel like uh, the helmet just gets in your way right. and, and everything. What is there? Uh, is there other equipment? You know, if you could invent some equipment that would be helpful, is there some other stuff that you think would be good for you guys to have in there? Or you just feel like the vest is the most important part. I think the vest is the most important part just because in there's not, there's not uh, much room in there for us. So it's not like, you know, you could say, hey, let's wear uh, shin guards and, oh yeah, we're going to wear, you know, knee pads and all this kind of stuff because ultimately we need to be able to move around in there with the horse. We need to be, we need to be comfortable um, and, and, and almost flexible enough to be able to handle these horses and, and everything. You know, there's a lot of, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of times you might hear some chatter in the gate and, um, you know, while we are in there and like I say, say if it's a 10 horse field, you know, we're always constantly making sure the horse is trying, we're trying to make sure the horses behave. We're getting along with the horse. We're making sure the rider is comfortable and making sure he's happy. But also we're looking out for nine other assistant starters. We're trying to make sure, you know, we're all communicating to one another. So if I have a problem with a horse, I need to let the boss know, hey, hold up, boss. We're, we got a problem here to let everybody else know in the starting gate that, okay, guess what? You can take your horse's head and bring him back to your lap or cock, it, cock his head to kind of take the edge off and make sure he's not looking down the track for two minutes, you know? And that's where a lot of the communication uh, comes in in the starting gate because we're communicating to not only as our coworkers but also our boss to let him know out front, hey, don't press the button right now. We we have a problem. We're no good here. And then once we are good to go, pretty much, you know, we'll let the boss know. All right, boss, we're we're good. And then the break will come afterwards. Now, I think that one of the things we, you know, I think the the most airtime you guys get is when you're trying to load a horse or especially like a difficult one. And so had a couple questions about that. I think there's, there's, I've seen a, a number of things that you guys do. And, and there's some that, that, uh, that, you know, I think some, you know, you know, that some people might think, Oh, wow, geez, that seems a little bit, but the, my favorite one is the kicking dirt on the back of their legs. I think that one's, I think that's kind of funny. Um, just to kind of let them feel something back there. Um, yes. there's the arm bar thing, uh, that, that, that you guys do. So I got a couple questions about that. There's also where it, it seems like there's like that kind of that very thin string that you guys swing. And I don't even think you're trying to hit them. I feel like you're trying to blow wind on them with it. Yeah. So pretty, yeah, pretty much, you know, we, we try to take the step, like a, a, the step process and pretty much it's, it's, you know, we try to go, uh, we try to see how much pressure we need to put on the horse to walk in the gate. We might kick a little dirt that goes on the back of their legs to say, okay, that might work to kind of encourage them to go in. Uh, if that doesn't work, some horses are fine with, with us locking arms and loading them. And that's, um, some take to it very well. Some horses don't like it and they will try to kick uh, at us. And so we'll try to load them a little bit higher compared to lower uh, for the safety uh, of the crew as well. And then we will have a leather strap that we will twirl, which pretty much makes like a, a little bit of a noise that will encourage them to go in as well. And then ultimately, if that doesn't work, uh, we will take the leather strap and, and kind of gently tap them to say, hey, come on, let's go. You got to get in the gate. 
and and do you try. Do you ever ask the jock to use the, to use a stick, or they do that on their own sometimes? Uh, we pretty much want we want to be able to handle that on our own. Okay. Uh, you know, sometimes they might they might give the horse a little tap on the on the backside, you know, just to try to get them to move forward because right. ultimately they are the pilot of the horse, so they might be listening to the jockey compared to us, and that's how we you know us as a, assistant starters are constantly trying to work with the jockeys, and the jockeys will work with us as well. They might say to us, "Hey, let me let me just tap them a little bit on the." on the ass and let me try to see if this will work yeah. you know, instead of shoving them in, in and then ultimately that might get them a little irritated while we do that. So the arm lock thing, I have two questions about that. One of them is silly. One of them is serious. The, the, the silly one is every time you guys do that, I think like, dang, then what if, what if this horse doo-doo's on their arm? It's got, I mean, it's <laughs> got to happen. So that's the first thing. The second thing is in Europe, they use those kind of like rubber looking straps where they, where they, why don't we use that in the U S that's a well when a horse does poop on a guy's arm it we we kind of get a good kick out of it and laugh or you know like you know we're pretty much holding each other's wrists and if i see a horse that's gonna go to the bathroom i'll let go quick and then maybe pull that guy's arm and then he gets <laughs> pooped on and then we can all laugh about it and he'll say oh you set me up i can't believe you let me go and stuff so it's it's just all good fun and it's just uh the nature of the game you know you're we're around these animals and everything the second question uh what they use in europe i've only seen them use it also in kentucky uh on a on a horse uh, for wesley ward um i personally have never used one i don't really know why we don't use um them i'm pretty sure if it, if uh you know if a boss said hey and you know, instead of loading horses with our arms, we're going to use this, you know, I would, I'd be very open to trying that out because I also think it protects also our shoulders and, um, and it might protect us a little bit more, but ultimately, you know, if you think about it, you know, if I grab your wrist and we're pushing in a 1200 pound animal and he kind of sits back on you, that's a lot of, um, pressure and force on our shoulders. And you might feel that for, you know, a couple of days, but ultimately, you know, when you're racing year round and that happens on a continuous basis, you know, your shoulders take a beating. Yeah. Yeah. As- uh, you know, I think Europe, their, their gate obviously is a little bit different than ours. And obviously, you know, our horses obviously get out of the gate a lot better. We were talking a little bit off air about, about kind of some of Aiden's tricks and some of the things he does, but is there a, is there a practices that they do in Europe that, um, that you would be interested in us trying here? Is there, is there something that kind of stands out? Um, I know they use those big kind of, uh, it was like kind of big blankets they'll put a horse in with or any of those things that you see over there that you think would be beneficial for us in, in this country? Well, I think, I think personally, you know, I, I, I think this is, this game evolves just like people and sports and everything. And, you know, I, some, some, we also use quarter pads and quarter pads are like a, it's like a, it pretty much goes inside each side of the gate while you're in the stall. And it's like a big, big pad. And it pretty much, when, when the doors close, it's almost like having a, a big body pillow wrap around, you know, the backside of the horse all the way up to the ribs. And it's almost like a comforting feeling for them. I truly believe the quarter pads uh, work great for a horse that might be very sensitive to touch. 
And then other other um, horses generally, you know, will take to the blanket. I think uh, having a blanket on, you know, horse, um, sometimes things can go wrong. The blanket might slip off. The blanket might, um, you know, fall down and then it gets, you know, around the horse's legs and they get irritated. But it's it's I think, you know, I think um, the way they uh, load horses over in Europe, I think that would be beneficial for us. And and sometimes the way they use the blindfold over there, you know, they kind of use like a hood. And we've seen that used before, um, you know, here in America that, you know, a, a European trainer might come over and say, hey, we need to put this hood on the horse and then we'll lead the horse in and then the jockey will take the hood off and kind of throw it back to us, you know. And, you know, sometimes it's all it's all different little uh, games that we have to play with these horses and kind of trick them as well. Could, it, could an American trainer request for you to not be in there with them or is it you have to be does there have to be a human in there with the horse? Uh, no, the, if a trainer comes to us and says, I want to be left alone, uh, we will leave the horse alone. Some horses um, generally would rather not have someone in there. Um, sometimes, you know, they, we, we might figure out in the morning or if it's a horse's first race that they break slow and they behave very well in there. Well, we might say, Hey, we're going to leave this horse alone and let the rider know. And then if the horse breaks better with us, not in there, then we'll leave the horse alone, you know, moving forward. Um, but you know, I would say most, most uh, American trainers and, and some of the European trainers want a man in there to try to keep the horse calm and to try to keep the horse safe and the jockey safe so that they do uh, break well. Who was the best horse you ever handled that was awful in the gate? Like the horse was a superstar, flat out superstar, but he was, I mean, you were in there fearing for your bones and your life when you were dealing with him or her. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's funny. It's, uh, I have a great respect for Brad Cox. I think he does a terrific, terrific job. He has two horses that are currently running now. I wouldn't, you know, maybe one is a superstar. The other one's a very good stake horse. Uh, is the one horse is a turf horse called Arklo, who's a massive horse, who uh, I usually handle when he does run in New York. And uh, he's a horse that will stand in the gate great and then – all of a sudden, a switch goes off, and he just wants to misbehave. And while while he does that, the doors open up, and then it's you know a very poor break. And you're like, you were just standing good in there for the 15 seconds. What happened to you? <laughs> and then uh, he has another horse called Dot Matrix, that is just um, a bear to deal with. He loves to throw his head to the right, and when I say throw his head to the right, it's like a 300 pound weight going to the right and then you'll finally get his head back looking down the track looking straight down the track and through those doors and then he'll swing his head to the left and it's like oh now i gotta push his head back to the middle and then you might think you got him and then he'll swing it back to the right again and it's legitimately a it's like trying to time everything perfect with that horse and that's just his behavior in the gate you're not going to change it or anything Oh, that's so funny. His two owners, I, I'm, I'm so glad you told that one. His two owners, or two of his main owners, the people that bred him, they listen to the show all the time. They're going to love this story about Dot Matrix. So yes, uh, they claimed his mom for 
Oh my God. That's amazing. And, he, and he's, and he's a homebred that turned into that horse. So that's pretty cool. He's, he is a very, very cool horse, but, um, <laughs> straighten him up. Yeah. He's, he's, he's a, he's definitely a handful and you know, it's, you know, it's, I, th- I think the big thing is, is, um, you know, improbable is like almost like that big bully. You know, he knows he's good, he's tough, and he's, you know, he's almost wants to flex his muscles uh, upon those other horses to kind of let them know. You know, and then and then you're, um, you know, you're around like a like an honor code that's just pure professionalism, and it, he's just you know remarkable and, and and stuff like that. You know, so, um, you know, you you know, I, I was very fortunate to be around i did not handle american pharaoh but at least i was there for the triple crown and and i got to see him at the breeders cup classic he was a horse that couldn't wait to run so he was a little antsy in the starting gate he was impatient he just wanted those doors to open so he could run and uh he just always had his game face on as soon as he stepped on the track and it was one of the most remarkable things to kind of see because like I said, you didn't want him to miss the break, but he knew he just could not wait to run. And he was he was such a remarkable horse to see. Name name some of the best horses you handled and and even not even they don't even have to be the best horses. And then also maybe some of like the best performances, right? Like you know, I you know, when it, when I think about New York racing and I think about some just like unbelievable performances, I think about like Rachel in the in the in the Woodward, I think about frosted in the Met Mile, I think about uh, Uncle Mo's debut, Uncle Mo's champagne. I think about all of these performances and these horses. Uh, who, who are some of the horses you've handled and some of those performances that, that, that our listeners would, would definitely remember? You know, I was very fortunate to handle Come Dancing, you know, a few times. I was able to handle uh, Newspaper of Record. She is, she's really remarkable. She really is. I had her in the Breeders' Cup down at Churchill when she won and everything. And, uh, I just, I bet like $16,000 on that race. I appreciate you. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and it was in a contest. I was playing in a tournament, but yeah, I still, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, you know, I was able to handle world of trouble, which I thought, I thought he was a, you know, really, uh, amazing horse too, because he was, you know, always ready to run and, and, you know, uh, code of honor when he was a two year old, um, but, you know, it's 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 one of those things, you know, I was able to have cloud computing for Chad Brown as well and Dunbar Road and, and um, you know, you know, working for Suge McGay, he always get to handle a few of his horses. And it's um, it's always a privilege to handle his horses and stuff just because of how great of a boss he was to work for. And, and you know, in the Phipps family and, and you know, you kind of, you know, growing up, I was um um, I was a huge easy goer fan and Pine Island and heavenly prize and you name it, you just go right down the road. And that's why I wanted to work for him. And, uh, I was very fortunate to work for him for a little while and, and everything. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. I know, you know, we talked about that off air, just kind of how you got into the game, right? Because you didn't come from a family of racing, which a lot of times I think this, this thing kind of runs through our, our, uh, through our families. Um, how did you get into, um, into horse racing? Well, uh, my parents are from the upstate New York area, Hoosick Falls in Bennington, Vermont. And uh, my dad and great-grandmother would always take me to the, uh, to the races. And that was one of uh, the things I always cherished, going to the races with my dad and my brothers and going to Saratoga. 
I remember my dad would be standing in line for grandstand tickets and me and my brother Josh, who's two years younger than me, we would have free reign of the Oklahoma track and the main track. And he, my father would say, look, it's, the gates open at seven o'clock. You make sure you guys are back here by seven. So my dad would be in line, you know, around five forty-five, six in the morning to get tickets for us. And, you know, we were able to go visit, you know, uh, a lot of different trainers and we would, you know, stay out of trouble, but uh, I'll never forget the moment. Um, you know, I was able to make my way all the way to the back of the main main track backstretch. And I believe Billy Mott was at Green Tree then. And I walked through those gates and Billy Mott said to me, you know, can I help you? And he goes, and I told him I'm here to see Cigar. And he said, you sure about that? And he goes, yeah. And I said to him, yes, I am. And he goes, uh, okay. And sure than hell, uh, he, I was able to see Cigar in, uh, in his stall. And then I was able to bring my dad back there. And he didn't, my dad did not believe me that I went to go see Cigar by the time I got back to the ticket office. And I, and I knew I could not be late. So I asked Bill Mott, can I bring my dad back here to show him Cigar? And he goes, yeah, bring him back here. And sure, I brought my dad back to see Cigar and he couldn't believe it. So that's where it all started, you know, and, and just going to the races, kind of like a lot of people. Um, but a lot of people don't realize I was a uh, college basketball player. And I went to Youngstown State on a Division One basketball scholarship, played there for one year. And, um, you know, I just did not like being out in Ohio. And I wanted to transfer back home. And unfortunately, the head coach there, um, John Robick, who, you know, uh, is the assistant at UK, denied me my release to go to another Division One school. And I ended up going to a Division Two school called St. Anselm College and played for one of the best head coaches uh, I've ever had uh, for Keith Dixon, who's been there 30 plus years. And, uh, you know, I'm a firm believer everything happens for a reason. I was able to, um, you know, win a, a couple of championships. I was All-American and scored almost 2,000 points. And I don't think a lot of people realize I hold the NCAA record for most consecutive free throws in one game. Really? And How many did you hit? 27? I think it was 26 for 26 or 27 for 27. Unbelievable. It was actually against St. Rose, you know, in Albany and everything. So I always kind of you know, say that to Jake Ballas and kind of mess with him about that. So we have, I always, I all, I will always think, I'm say, well, how many free throws did you have in a game? Oh, I, look me up in the record book. I'm right there. <laughs> JJ Reddick can't even, can't even compete with that. That's, that's unbelievable. Yeah. Well, they pretty much say, well, you must've been a hell of a complainer in, in the game. So, but, um, you know, so after you, you, I, did it, you, you played professionally for a little while, right? I went overseas for uh, a short time. Unfortunately, I had the Jones fracture, kind of like what Kevin Durant had, and that never healed properly. And once I knew my career was over, I was okay with it because pretty much um, I could do whatever I wanted to do. And, you know, I was a criminal justice major. and um, But ultimately, um, while I was in college, I kind of worked at a equestrian farm that wasn't far from my house. And uh, I was around horses and uh, the gentleman taught me how to ride. And I kind of noticed, you know, if I rode if I rode horses during the week, my legs became very strong and flexible and it helped me out on the basketball court. So I had a little bit of horse background on the equestrian side. And then once I was done, um, 
the funny story that I have is I called Suge McGahee up out of the blue on his Saratoga phone and said I was interested in working on the racetrack. And he said, well, if you're ever around, come by the barn. I'd love to meet you. And I drove up from Worcester, Mass to Saratoga and met him the next day and hung out with him and, and Buzzy and um, pretty much talked to him and, you know, I was around the horses and stuff like that. And he knew how serious I was. And the next day he said, hey, if you want to come work for me, I'd like to send you to um, Kentucky and have you work for Bill Harrigan, who's a terrific horseman, terrific cha- uh, trainer at Maya Comet Farm. So I said, well, when can I leave? And he goes, well, just think about it. And when you're ready, just let me know. So I gave it a day or so. And next thing you know, I was on the road and uh, went to work for Bill Harrigan. And um, I was you know, able to work with a lot of uh, his two-year-olds who were, you know, Suge McGee's horses were being broken. And we got to go to Payson Park. And when we came back from Payson, you know, I really loved Lexington and I wanted to continue to learn about the industry. So I was able to get a job at Lane Zen Oak Tree. And I worked for Callan Strauss, who's one of the best guys I've ever met in this industry. And I was able to be around uh, Miesk and, uh, you know, work with the mares and foals, uh, six perfections I was able to be around. So it was really amazing to kind of be around the mares and foals, the yearlings and yearling prep. But ultimately, I wanted to be back where the action was. And I went back with Suge McGahee at Keeneland and worked with him. Um, and then my, my old head coach, Keith Dixon, called me and asked me, hey, do you want to come be my assistant uh, coach? And um, it was hard to say no to him because he did so much for me while I was in college. I did that for almost five years, and I can honestly say I loved, uh, you know, loved coaching. I uh, loved being back at my school, but ultimately my heart ached for the horses and the and the thoroughbred industry. And um, I was just still trying to find my way. You know, where do I fit? Where you know, I you know, I, I understand how hard it is to be a very successful trainer. Um, you know, with good horses, good clients. And I just didn't really know where I would fit in. And my wife and I were at, um, we were at Country Corner Cafe in Saratoga, sitting at the bar, having breakfast. We were talking horses and a gentleman sitting next to me said to me, oh, you worked for Suge McGee. And I said, yes, I did. So he introduced himself. His name was Butch Hawker. He worked on the starting gate in Maryland, but he was in Saratoga giving us a, giving the starting gate crew a hand. And he told me he was working on the gate and how long he did. And I said, I've always been interested in the starting gate. And he said to me, no way, really? And I said, yeah. So he gave me his phone number. He brought me out for a few races to kind of see everything up close and ultimately fell in love with it right away. He told me, you know, you're, you know, you're six foot four, you're athletic, you're big, you'd be great for this job. And the next morning he had me come out and watch morning schooling on the main track and on the, um, and on the training track with Bob Duncan. And, um, long story short, uh, Bob Duncan hired me to come up there and work in October 
and I've been doing this ever since now. So going into I'm into my ninth year now, almost ten years now doing this. Now, obviously, uh, you know, being at Naira and being in Saratoga is great. Um, is in your profession is working the gate for like the Derby? Is that kind of like a is that like a bucket list dream type of thing or? Is it just kind of the same deal? You'd rather just kind of deal with good horses all the time in a great jurisdiction or, you know, what's kind of the the pinnacle uh, for for an assistant starter or a starter? Yeah, I I think, you know, I I think, you know, if you want to work the Derby, I've been very fortunate to work, like I said to you, three Breeders' Cups. I've been able to go down and work the Preakness. The only race I have not worked was, um, you know, the Kentucky Derby, and that is something I would love to do. Um, but it's also a lot of fun being in the stands and being with friends and family and, you know, drinking the mint juleps and, and enjoying, enjoying everything. But there's nothing like being in the starting gate and being a part of the game and it, there's no other rush. And, uh, you know, I was, um, I was very fortunate to work for Scott Jordan. He hired me to come down and work the Breers cup and he's just a terrific, terrific boss, terrific horseman. That crew down there does a phenomenal job. Is that and, is that California? Uh the the, the crew down in uh, Churchill. Churchill, Scott. Okay, Scott Jordan and Churchill. Yeah, Scott, and I, I I cannot say enough good things about those guys and uh, and him. I think they do a terrific job schooling horses and and handling horses. But he was able. Uh, uh, it's funny. I have a couple of good friends down there, uh, Caleb and Anthony. And we were talking uh, before the Breeders' Cup Classic when Accelerate won. And uh, I said, man, I, I hope I get a horse. But if, if there's one horse I don't want in that gate, it was, it's Thunder Snow. And if you recall, Thunder Snow had some gate antics, um, you know, in the Kentucky Derby because of the sloppy track. But I was also fortunate to handle Thunder Snow in the Jockey Club Gold Cup. And he, obviously, you know, where he runs and – they like to have a guy in there, but he is very finicky in there. He kind of likes to do it like this little bunny hop thing, jump up and down a little bit. And he drew the one hole out of 14. And when the assignments came up and Scott said, Jimmy, you got the one. I said, oh, boy, we're going to be in there for a little while. <laughs> I hope everything goes well. And it was actually the first time I was able to handle, you know, a horse in the Breeders' Cup Classic. And, and um, you know, he was a little – not too bad, but I wish he was a little better, but he broke good. So I was happy about that. And he actually ran a very, very good race, um, and, and everything. So it's, um, you always, you always want to be a, be a part of the, the big show, you know, to see where you stand and, and, you know, some people can perform under pressure and some people can't, but, you know, I've always been taught, um, uh, by a lot of the, you know, guys I've worked with is you treat I don't care if it's a $10,000 claimer or the Breeders' Cup Classic. You treat every horse, every rider like it's the big race. You treat them all the same. You don't – It's just because it's a $10,000 claimer, I'm not going to do a half-assed job. Because at the end of the day, there's an owner, there's a trainer, there's an exercise rider, there's a groom and a hot walker that put countless hours and effort into that horse for that one specific day and for that specific two and a half minutes. So that's our job to make sure we do our best possible job for all those people that are in the game. And I think that's like, that's why I do this, you know, because I love the game. I love the horse. And 
if there's no owners, there's no there's no assistant starters, there's no jockeys, there's no exercise riders, there's no trainers. And I think that's the hard thing, you know, people don't realize is, you know, when they say the racetrack is such a family environment, it is because we are all connected. I need the owners, I need the trainers, I need the horses. We all need the horses, you know, and it, it stems back all the way to people on the farms and you know, and, and, you know, how Webb Carroll does a great job breaking horses. It, it, it goes right down the line, you know, all the way to, um, you know, Windstar Farm breeding and, and Lane's Anne and Three Chimneys. And we're all connected in this one big bowl. We need to continue to work together to move forward, to make sure this game is moving in the right direction, you know, for the fan, you know, for the better, for the horse, for the owner, for everybody. And, you know, I'm all for safety, but I'm also the horse has got to come number one. Now, you you mentioned some of the other jurisdictions and obviously it's it's there's, you know, I'm sure when you're looking at a race from Santa Anita, you're like, oh, well, those guys are doing that. Oh, that's interesting. They're doing that. Or, oh, wow, I can't. I, that's inter- like what are some things that you see different? Maybe not that you agree with or disagree with, but just things that you see that are different and other jurisdictions that, that, that catch your attention. You're like, Oh wow, that we don't do that at all. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to talk about, you know, uh, since I worked down in Kentucky, you know, on three separate occasions and, and everything I would, I'll, I'll talk about that. So in Kentucky, they do not want any chatter going on in the gate. They don't want you yelling. No, no, no. They don't want you. Um, they don't want all the hollering. Um, you know, Scott can see everything. Scott Jordan, the boss, can see everything that's going on. He pretty much wants you to say, hold up, I got a problem. Uh, so, hey, hey, boss, you know, just give me an extra second. Um, that's what he wants. Uh, in New York, we, the last horse that goes in, the gentleman that's bringing the horse in will yell one out and will yell, you got him, to communicate to the boss that, the whole gate's good to go, so why don't you press the button and and kick it? In Kentucky, everything is pretty much um, quiet. You 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 have to pay attention to that last horse going in, and once all the horses are looking down the track, the starter will take this the start. Um, so, you know it's you know what works for them might not work for us. And, you know, I'm, you know, you just kind of have to roll with the punches and, and, and adapt to each racetrack. Uh, I do know in Maryland, you know, they will, uh, the people on the back doors, as soon as that last horse goes in, they will yell locked up, which communicates that the last horse is in and that Bruce Wagner can take the break, uh, when everything is good to go. So um, is it just a button they hit with their thumb? Yeah, it's just a button. It's pretty much just a button that shuts off the power to the starting gate and releases the magnets and the hatches and opens up all the doors. So we talked about it a little bit off air. I had some, you know, somebody was messaging about, you know, I don't know the door. I've never noticed it, but some, the door, the two door, the nine door, some door that like was funny. And you were mentioning that you, you told me off air, like how, how, when they open, they're meant to latch. And sometimes there could be a malfunction where they don't act. They, they hit so hard that they don't catch. 
Yeah, so pretty much when the do- the doors when the doors open, and the amount of force when they open, there's two almost like little there's almost two hooks that will hook into the door so that they don't bounce and hit the horse or hit the jockey or anything of that nature. On occasion, the doors will not catch, and that's just from you know like I like I said the doors uh, opening up and slamming and they just kind of bounce and 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 they should nine times out of ten they do uh catch and hook so that they don't swing back open and hit the horse um but you know that's and and you know they got rubber bands on them so that you know they can legitimately latch on and hold those doors so they do they don't bounce now um how the 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 gates themselves um is there is there like a kind of a cadillac of gates is there like oh this gate i gotta work this janky gate this i hate working this gate is there like a situation where like if you showed up to work tomorrow and there's a new shiny brand new gate would your life be easier your job be easier or does it not really make a difference it doesn't really make a difference i think the the biggest key is making sure those uh i i did not Everything I heard about the new starting gate in Kentucky that they use for the Kentucky Derby, the ledges that the assistant starters were standing on were much narrower compared to what we are we are used to. We probably stand on a ledge that's uh, half a foot wide, maybe five inches wide. So I don't really recall how big the ledge is for that gate. But you know, my biggest thing is just being comfortable in there and, and making sure that ledge is just wide enough so that we can, you know, balance ourselves up there and feel comfortable in there with the horse and, you know, the jockey as well. Is So we've talked a lot about the horses and we've, we've talked a little bit about the jocks. Um, and I'm not asking you to like name anyone specifically, but do you... Is there, and you, if you want to say any of these names, you're more than welcome to. Do you feel more comfortable with certain riders? And do you see riders, you're like, oh, shh, I got this, I got this guy in here. Does it, do you, do, you, do, do they matter to you and your job? Well, I, it's funny you say that. It, you kind of have to learn what riders want and what riders don't want. I think Johnny Velasquez is a great rider. I love working with him and handling uh, him in the gate. He likes to let his horses look around. He wants his horse to look down the track. He wants you to move the horse's head to the right to see the other assistant starter climbing up and see the other horse. Um, Some uh, riders want you to keep the horse's head to the left. Um, I will say, uh, Joel Rosario is a pleasant to work with. Um, Irad Ortiz and Jose and Manny Franco and Junior Alvarado. They're, they're all very, very, uh, great guys to work with. And, you know, I trust them and, and they trust me as well. If they tell me, Hey, Jimmy, my horse doesn't feel like it's standing that well. Well, it's my job and my duty to, well, figure out why isn't this horse standing well, or, if they come in to me and come in the gate and say, hey, Jimmy, you know, we don't let this horse look down the track too long. The longer he looks, the more nervous he's going to get. Well, I got to respect them. And and like I said, we're trying to work together as a team. But, you know, each, um, you know, um, you know, even even, you know, uh, Javier might want a little bit more 
um, attention um, and how a horse is standing compared to another rider, you know, but that's just, that's what makes these riders great riders. You know, they're, they're on the back of the horse. They can feel the horse and, and whatever is pretty much whatever is best for them and everything. What's a, what's a, you know, like I said, we don't need names, but what's a bad rider look like? Like what, what is like, what, when they break out of there, you're just like, man, if, if I could punch this guy, like what's the thing that they do that, that if you have a rider that you, 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 you want to, you want to fist fight, what, what are they, what, what is their actions? What are they doing that annoys you? There, if you have a nervous horse, they will tell you, oh, point them down the track, let them look. And it's like, well, I understand that, but you don't realize this horse is pretty nervous. Um, or, oh, he's, he, or if the rider's yelling, no, 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 no good. Sometimes the rider will yell, no, no, no good. But the horse is actually standing good and looking down the track. Um, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, uh, the, the jockey will just, you know, it's almost like they're not anticipating the break and the break comes and they kind of fall back on the horse's mouth. And then it's like they kind of get in a tangle. But I can honestly say, and I'm being dead seriously, Jonathan, and, and, and stuff like that, that nine times out of 10, the riders are, you know, pretty easy to pretty easy to deal with as long as you're willing to listen to them and respect them and they're willing to respect, you know, what we're trying to do. You know, there's there's very little times that we might have a, a problem in there or in, in nine times out of ten it might be like a miscommunication and that's all it is. I, I gotta imagine there's Sunday mornings where one of them comes over to, to work one and they say some smart ass comment about something that happened the day before and man, you, you hung me up yesterday. Yeah, yeah, you get it. Does that I mean, does that ever happen and, and is it uh ever escalated into any interesting uh stories? Good thing for me, no. <laughs> Honestly, uh, if it, I, if a horse gets off bad, I really um, take it to heart. Be, and I will go back and watch the replay three, four, five times to kind of see, you know, w- what happened. And, and if I do run into any of the jockeys that were on the horse and I'll say, hey, you know, I thought he was standing good. What, like, did you feel anything wrong? And they might say, oh, yeah, I didn't like this or um, – or, you know, um, you know, we could have done this better or no, he was standing fine, Jimmy. It, you know, everything was just bad luck, you know, and, and turn the page. But fortunately I've never, um, had anything happen to me like that or anything. I mean, I'm a lot bigger than them too. So <laughs> yeah, they that, probably, that's what helps too. Probably not a fight they want to start. Um, any pedigree things that you've, I mean, obviously tappets can be a little bit uh, tricky, but is there, is, do you, do you, have you found any, any types of, of habits that, you know, like, oh, wow, these distorted humors, they'll stand there all day. Or have you noticed anything like that when you're in, in this, in this, uh, in this job? Well, you like, like you said, the tappets, you can definitely see they're, they're definitely a little hotter than, you know, uh, other horses and, you know, and, and everything, but you know, night, nine times out of 10, we don't really know their pedigrees going into the gate. You know, when they first come to the starting gate and, you know, they'll just give uh, the name of the horse or the mayor's name. So we don't really know um, too much about it, but you know, you gotta, it's, it's one of those things you don't want to get caught up in. You want to treat every horse as it's individual and almost like, you know, I, I, and I know I refer to like coaching, you know what I'm saying? And it's, each horse is going to be like a, a certain player. You know, some players are good. 
some players are superstars and then some other some players are just not coachable and you know that's where we come into play to say hey guess what you're not going to do this and you're not going to do that and that's where we kind of need to put a little pressure on the horse and it's almost like parenting uh, you know it's crazy to say that and um you know while they walk in the gate and while they're standing in the gate and you know we want to make sure they don't develop bad habits um in the morning which will result to bad habits in the afternoon when it comes to equipment um you know i've heard richie migliori say on, on the show we do on the fox show we do where he's talked about how he thinks sometimes horses with blinkers will 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 break slow because they don't see the other horses. They it's almost like they're reacting to the other horses. They don't see it, or they'll turn their head. They don't see the gate open. He thinks it's more about seeing the gate open than actually hearing it uh, open. What what are your thoughts uh, about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I that's very interesting that he said that because he's a terrific jockey and I think he does a great job, you know, right now and stuff like that. Uh, I I you know I personally believe some. Some horses are just slow coming out of the gate and others are like rockets. Uh, I do believe if you have a horse uh, wearing blinker, a set of blinkers for the first time, well, they might break a touch slow because, yes, they don't see the other horses coming out or the, you know, the, their vision might, you know, um, inhibit the, the doors opening. And sometimes if you put blinkers on a horse for the first time as well, they might come out quicker because guess what? They are more focused on the doors opening compared to the horses to the left, to the right, to the assistant starters standing up on their left side and another assistant starter on, on their right side. So, I, you know, even, even to that point, Jonathan, you just can't enter a horse and say, oh, I'm going to put blinkers on this horse. You need to bring that horse up to the starting gate with blinkers to stand in the gate so that they can, you know, so that we can have a test run of climbing up on the ledge, climbing on the right side of putting another horse next to that horse to make sure that they are okay with everything that goes on in the afternoon. And then essentially we, you know, we mark it down in the computer or we write out a blinker card for them to run at another track to say, yep, this horse has never run in blinkers, but we did school them, school that horse in the morning. So he is okay to run in the afternoon with these blinkers. Yeah, I would think that they can't see you if you're standing on that ledge. They have a blinker on. They, they you might be. They could feel you, but they can't see you. And I, I, I would assume that could be problematic. Right, and you know, like I said, some and as you know, um, some of the blinkers are you know half cup, three quarter cup blinkers or cheaters, and that's why I that's why I think you know, like I told referred back to you know. Johnny Velasquez likes his horse to look around. He wants that horse to look to the right, down the track, look to the left so that he can see everything that's there and then get focused looking down the track. Do you so direct he, him to look or do you just yeah. let him look? You will direct them. I'll, I will push the horse's head to the right side to say, hey, take a look over there. And, you know, I might ask the assistant starter on the right side, hey, can you reach over and pet this horse on the head just to let him know, hey, you're here and everything is okay. Then I'll bring him over to me and I'll pet him on the head and he'll look at the horse to the left. So, um, like I said, the, the biggest thing is just trying to keep them comfortable and calm in there and, and, and get them focused on, you know, looking down the track to run. A lot of times, you know, as horse players, we talk about how good Louie Saez and Kendrick are 
uh, out of the gate, gate riders, we, we say. Uh, is there anything that you have seen in the gate with those guys that 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 uh, that could kind of explain why we feel that way as horse players that they break so well, or is it is it is is there is it kind of it's not something you can notice from the inside? Yeah, I I think you know they're they're both terrific guys. Louis is awesome. I really love to work with Louis Saez. He's a great you know guy, very professional, uh, always in tune with his horse and everything. And you know as is is Kendrick and stuff. But you know maybe it's just you know, they, they're pretty good at anticipating the break maybe. And, and, uh, you know, they can kind of sense when the break's coming and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I wish I had a better answer. I really do. That's all I can really think of is like they anticipate the break so well, and they're able to, uh, get their horse out of the gate quick. What do you think about, uh, situations like the, the Bayern situation from the Breeders' Cup, uh, a few years back where, you know, obviously there's so much attention paid to interference when it happens in the stretch, but you know, watching the head ons and, and obviously from your vantage point, I mean, horses can get absolutely eliminated at the break with, you know, intentional or unintentional left-handed turns. What, what, what do you, how do you, what is your, from, you know, from standing right there and watching it and, and from behind and being closer to it than essentially anyone else, what are your thoughts about uh, some of the trouble that can happen at the start after you've, after you've done your job, but where they are at that point? Yeah, it's there's so many different factors that go into it. And I think that's a great question as well, because, you know, they might their first jump or jump and a half out of the gate might be straight. But then their second, third jump is left hand turns or right hand turns or I'm going to or they're bumping another horse. And a lot of it, you know, is is just from them shying away from, you know, another horse to the right or another horse to the left or pretty much just losing their balance as well. And you know, and I know when a horse comes out of the gate and, you know, they're striding out and, you know, if a horse kind of bumps them and you know what, they lose their balance and that makes them almost like make a left-hand turn and stumble to the right or the left, you know, and, and, and that's the, it's, it's unfortunate, but at the end of the day, it's, you know, um, you know, it can cost a, a horse, the race right there. And that's what I said to you, like, like you said, we're the center. And if something happens, you know, at, at the, the beginning part of the race or at the break and something goes wrong, it's, it's, we're pinpointed, you know, on that. And sometimes you, you know, if a horse doesn't come out straight, you you almost kind of say to yourself, well, was he standing good enough? We'll, we'll try to look down and see if there's any marks from the horse or, you know, how he left and, and kind of go back and, and watch like a replay and kind of see, you know, a head on replay to kind of see, you know, how was that horse standing or how, you know, what did he do? Or guess what? He's already two jumps out of the gate. There's nothing we could have done. And he might've just got bumped or slipped or lost his balance. How much does your job change uh, with weather? I hate the cold. I will, if it's a hundred degrees and I have sweat pouring off my face, I'm completely, completely, fine and happy with that. But now that we're at Aqueduct, I'm pretty much miserable, miserable from December 1st all the way till April 15th until we go back to Belmont. Because (laughs) like I said, uh, working in the mornings and 30 degrees, 35, 40 degrees, I hate it. I hate it more than anything in the world, but I got to, I just got to tolerate it. I'm a warm weather guy and, uh, you know, it just, 
it, I guess it's like any athlete, you know, when it's warm out, you feel looser and you feel better and you're not wearing, you're not wearing a helmet and a vest and an under armor, like cold gear shirt, and then a hooded sweatshirt and then a, a winter jacket and gloves. And it's just like, you know, uh, and then if a horse throws its head at you or kind of breaks awkward and hits you in the leg, you know, the bumps and bruises, um, you know, you kind of feel them a little bit more, I guess, uh, the next day compared to the, you know, spring, summer and fall, I guess. What about, uh, rain? How does rain, uh, is, is your job, does your job change much? I mean, obviously it changes a little bit, but does it change much on a sloppy racetrack? Um, we still, we still want to do all the same things. It just makes our communication factor plays a little bit more into effect when it's raining because, you know, obviously with the helmets on and all that kind of stuff, it makes it a little harder to see and hear. So, uh, if there is problems going on in the gate, you just kind of got to be aware of your surroundings a little bit more and, um, you know, handling the horse, you know, he's wet and the reins are wet. So, you just, you know, even the uh, the ledge that we stand on gets a little slippery. The bars that, you know, we kind of pull ourselves up on and, you know, kind of use those get slippery. You just you, you got to be on top of your A game and, and and everything and just be aware of your surroundings. And and, um, you know, you just got to make sure you're tuned in a little bit more compared to, you know, oh, it's a nice, beautiful, sunny day and everything, you know. Right. And then, uh, did, did the riders ever hand you that plastic they cover their goggles with, or they always just put it in their boot or drop it on the ground? No, the funny thing is sometimes some of them will stuff it in between the padded, like the doors, the padded doors <laughs> on the side and they'll stuff it. Or sometimes, you know, like I'll be in there and, you know, I'll have my rain jacket on and some of them, you know, will stuff the plastic in my pocket and i'm like oh man what do you do you'll get out of the gate and you're like what is all and you, you'll have three pieces of plastic in there yes from their goggles or they'll hand it to you and i'll sometimes go, what do you want me to do with that and they'll look at me like oh can you take that and i'll say what do you think i have a trash can you know just, <laughs> just to mess with them and laugh with them and everything yeah so, no i mean obviously it's such an interesting dynamic i mean you guys are in there you know you guys are in there uh essentially kind of protecting each other. Obviously you protecting more than they're protecting you, but still at the same time, they, like you said, they're the pilot. So, um, they're sitting there, uh, they're sitting there, uh, trying to, trying to keep you safe as well. Yes. Yeah. Big time. And you know, like some of them, you know, obviously, uh, you know, most of them, you know, speak Spanish and everything and they'll kind of, you know, uh, you know, joke with me and I'll look over and I was, I, I understand that you, you can, you could say that in English now, you know, and, <laughs> They'll laugh at, you know, laugh at me, but you know, at the, at the end of the day, we all, it, it is a, it's a great thing. We all kind of, you know, get together and, um, you know, just get along well, work together well. And it's a, it's a good thing for sure. Yeah. Is there a, um, is there a, is there a thing, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. Is there a thing that you just, that you've always kind of wanted to be able to communicate to the public about your job, what you do, what, what something that they might have a misconception about that, you just want to yell at the top of your lungs, like, no, dumb, dumb. It, it, that's not, that's not what's happening. That's not what this is. Is there anything that, that, that kind of sticks out to you that you've wanted to be able to communicate to people, um, about your job or about what's going on in the gate? Yeah. I, I think, you know, like the gentleman from uh, Delaware, you know, he kind of got a bad deal. He's a great, uh, assistant starter. And they said he's punched the horse in the face or, you know, hit the horse in the face you know, and everything. And, and it's, I think that 
these, these horses are like, it's like, I keep saying they're 12, 1300 pounds of muscle. And once they begin to start to fight with you and, um, start to act up, well, at the end of the day, you got to keep them safe as well, but you also have to keep yourself safe and the jockey safe. And whether it's, you know, you know, if I, if I have a bad horse and he's throwing his head around and whipping it and he's trying to bite it, you know, bite me, well, I'm not going to stand there and let that happen, but I'm not going to hurt the horse, but I need to, okay, I'm going to grab his ear to get his attention to say, Hey, guess what? You're not going to do that anymore. Or, you know, you grab, you know, their shoulder and, and you kind of, kind of give them a little pinch to say, you know, Hey, stand here. Don't be dancing around in here. Don't be moving around. Make sure you stand here. You know, I, I think some of the, the public sees that, you know, all the gate crews, we wrap some, we have to wrap their tails, you know, in the door. Well, that's for the safety of all of us because that's because those horses like to rear up and flip in the gate, you know, and it, it's not, you know, it's not, if a horse's tail is wrapped and he's a bad flipper, he's still going to break perfectly fine because when the doors open, we let their tail go and then they just come out like nothing. And it's almost, you know, wrapping their tail because of them being a bad flipper is almost like an anchor. You know, if they tried to flip, they're going to feel that they're kind of tied down and say, Hey, I, I can't flip, I can't flip out the back of the gate or I can't act up. And it's a lot of what we do of, you know, I, I think the Monmouth uh, crew took a little bit of heat maybe a year ago or two years ago because of a gentleman was grabbing the horse's tail while his hind end was saddling in and kind of smashing into the door. Well, it's just, it's like, it's like me grabbing your left arm saying, no, you're going to come this way but you're still trying to pull to the right. It's not hurting the horse. You know, it's just trying to redirect the horse the proper way so that he doesn't ca uh, cause injury or harm to anybody or most importantly himself as well. And I, I can honestly say that between all the starters I've worked for and the guys I've worked with, you know, we, we have a passion for the horses. That's what we do. We care about the horses. We're not we're not here to hurt the horses, but it's almost like a discipline um, disciplinary. And that's what we're doing with the horses. If they rear up, you know, we're not going to allow them to rear up. We're not going to allow them to do this. We're not going to allow them to do that. But to honestly say, oh, this person hit the horse, you know, punch the horse in the head. You know that we're never been taught that or, you know, we're, we've never been taught to hurt a horse at all. And it's more or less, hey, we got to protect ourselves, but also we got to protect the horse. I mean, I, this has been this has been fascinating. I've actually in the middle of this show, I've texted like some friends saying this this might be one of the best podcasts I've ever had. It's like it's so interesting, <laughs> and like um, you know, it, it's 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 a part of the game. Like I talk about that we've we all as, as horse players are involved in. It's that moment, the most anxious moment horse horse players have in their life. It, it usually starts right there in that moment when, you know, you got, you're alive to a big score and a pick five, or you've, you, you, you loved a horse, you bet to win. And so whatever it is, it's like those moments of silence and stillness before they break, they're in your hands 
and you know that's a really interesting and, and way to look at it and and so um man i i feel like i could talk to you for three hours but it's just like i it, it, there's so many cool things um that i learned on this thing that i that i had no idea about and so uh and that was really awesome well yeah i appreciate it there's there's so much that goes in goes on in the starting gate i think i think the 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 perception of the public just thinks like oh we put horses in the gate and then they come out and run if you did that with a horse that never went in the gate obviously he's going to be nervous obviously he's not going to know what to do and those doors would open and I guarantee you, he's just going to stand in the gate and say, what do you want me to do? <laughs> and it is, it's, it's fascinating to see how, uh, and re so re rewarding seeing working with, you know, the two year olds and how they grow up and, and really to see how they understand and, and what they need to do. Like I said, each horse is different. Each horse is going to pick this up quicker, and, and others take longer, and, and others might have a, a few speed bumps in the road, and you just got to kind of work with them and, and everything. I do want to say one thing is in field races in Saratoga, if a horse breaks slow because he's a first-timer, that's not because of us. It's because he's a first-timer. And he's and he might be running against, you know, other horses that already broke or already ran. So like, I just want to clarify this: <laughs> if you have uh, a gate full of, you know, say eight two-year-olds in there, four of them have have already run and four of them have not run already. The ones that have run already are going to break faster than the first timers. And that's all based off of experience and they understand what's going on already. They learn very, very quickly. And that's why, you know, you'll hear people, well, this is a first timer. This is why he broke a little awkward. He broke a little slow, you know, from that standpoint, you know, you, you know, you know what I'm saying there? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There, there, there's a, you know, a second time starter is always expected to break better. And, and it's one of the reasons why I, and, and I don't, I'm curious to see what you think about this. I hate first time starters that are drawn inside because there's a chance they're going to break a step slow and then they're going to be in behind horses eating dirt. Yes. If you break slow from the outside, at least you're in the clear, you can make up ground as it, as it comes. Yeah. And I, and I'm a, I'm a big time believer. If you think about it, a first timer that drew the one hole, you don't have any horses inside you. All your horses are on the right side of you or the offside. And what people need to realize is when you walk a horse, we're always on its left side. When you tack a horse up, you're always on its left-hand side. When you climb up around a horse, you're on its left-hand side. That, that's their good side. That's where they can see everything. That's where you teach them. Ever since... When they're at full, you lead them out to the field on their left-hand side. And when you deal with their offside, that's where they're a little funny with it. So when you have a horse that's in the one hole or two hole, you know, and they break slow and they get shuffled back, that's because they have all those horses on their right side, which causes them to kind of be a little timid. It's not that they're slow. They're just timid. And then they're almost like, wow, what's going on out there? I didn't see that clearly and then they get shuffled back. Damn. That's, that's, wow, 
groundbreaking. If you stuck around for the hour and 43 minutes, that was like the gym at the end. That was, I've never thought about it that way. I just yeah. thought they just get shuffled. They, you know, they get shuffled. They're, they're surrounded by horses. Um, that's such an in, uh, interesting, uh, a part of it. The last thing I got to tell you is, yeah. uh, uh, our friend, Anthony, uh, uh, Doogie, the, the famous Doogie's son, Anthony told me to ask you what's wrong with your Patriots. I, that's kind of funny. He texted me. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure if he wants to have a little wager, uh, Dallas Cowboys versus the Patriots, and I'll give him seven points. We will win. <laughs> Just because we, and Anthony knows this. We've been, I've, I, to be a Patriot fan, we've had a hell of a run. We still have the greatest coach, uh, in NFL history. Uh, it is the COVID year, so I'm going to chalk that up. But Anthony, I'm just letting you know, we have the third most money to spend next year in free agency. That's all <laughs> I need to say. Anthony uh, famously hangs out in the uh, clubhouse at Saratoga uh, at Gate to Wire, the number two. Uh, if you if you don't follow him uh, on Twitter, uh, he's, uh, he's, he's at Saratoga probably as many days as, as you are, huh, Jimmy? Most definitely. He's a great friend of mine. He's, he's what the game needs and, uh, he's very knowledgeable and, uh, a great friend of mine. I also just want to, I just want to say also, Jonathan, I, I want to give a shout out to, uh, Jake Ballas, who's a great friend of ours. And, uh, you know, he was able to kind of put this together, I guess you could say, or kind of maybe give you an idea. And then, got in touch with me and stuff like that. So Jake, uh, I really appreciate that. I've known Jake for a long time and, and stuff and what a terrific guy he is. And, and, uh, also a terrific owner. And he's, he's great for this game as well. Absolutely, man. I appreciate it. This is, this is fun. And, yep. uh, we'll, we'll have to do it again. I'm sure that, that this is going to spark a whole bunch of questions. And, and so, uh, maybe we'll, uh, maybe next summer we'll do it in person. We'll have a couple adult beverages and, uh, and we'll, we'll do it again. Sounds good. Why don't we get you out uh, for a morning schooling session and we'll get you to close a couple of back doors and let you see what's going on out there. And then uh, why don't you get why don't you come out for um, a couple of races on the turf course and be right there with us, you know, in action right at the rail and, and kind of see everything that goes on and with our assignments and stuff or, you know, hang out, hang out with me for the full day. Yeah, absolutely. As long as you're buying the Shake Shack, I'm in. Ah, it's on me. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> All right, Jimmy, I appreciate you, man. Thanks so much. Thank you. Man, that was fun. Um, I wish I could have got him to bury one of those riders and say they were jerks, but he's uh, he's too professional to do that. Um, listening to him talk about the horses, the good horses he's handled was also fun and exciting. I mean, I, I could just imagine, like, you know, uh, just kind of feeling this connection to a horse that you handled that broke, uh, broke the maiden first out, you know, and, and, and just kind of watching them throughout their career. I mean, it's, it's gotta be, uh, a ton of fun. So, um, man, that was awesome. And, and, uh, you know, a lot of times I'll have guests on and I say, oh, that was fun. I kind of didn't leave much meat on the bone and, 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 you know, I'm glad we had them and that's probably the last time we'll have them. And, and, uh, cause there's just not a whole lot left to do, but, Man, with with Jimmy, that felt like one of those episodes where uh, we can have him on again um, to talk about some things that are going on and, and some things that might have happened and, and to tell more stories and to uh, of some of the situations that happened. But I wanted to make sure I got to the meet with him about some of the things that I've had questions about, and I'm assuming you did as well. So uh, that was a ton of fun, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure you retweet it, share it, uh, recommend it to friends. Uh, we, we want people to be able to, to, to hear that and have a better uh, an idea of what's going on. Um, 
it's a long episode, so I'll, I'll get out of here. I, I want to thank uh, PTF for, uh, for I don't know what he does, but thank him. Uh, Drew, um, Drew Coatney, uh, our, our, uh, our main man that runs everything behind the scenes, and, and also Drew, uh, uh, we're thinking about you. He's got some personal things going on with his family in, in, in terms of, uh, of what we're all dealing with in this country with, uh, with COVID, so we're, we're thinking about you, Drew. Um, Naomi, uh, talk racing to me, Maddie Ice, the Matt Bernier show, Nick Luck, um, Spencer, Redboard, Rewind, and, um, and this, uh, snorting dog in the background you might hear or might not hear. We'll see you guys next week. I need to know everything, who and the what and the where, I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George, I hop in the Porsche, five and a horse, I'm ready for war, I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost, I need to know everything. Now you be surprised at the info you get is by letting them talk, so I'm letting them talk. Gotta keep quiet, maneuver in science, then let them and talk up their body, another one body, that's just how it go. I got some secrets, I'm shaking the